Amen. Thank you, musicians and choir again for leading us. We're going to need more chairs, I think. Everybody's back, like, from vacation. I think everybody was traveling this summer, and now everyone's back. This is great. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, I, I hope we are always a singing church. I don't sing in the pulpit as much as Dr. Sherman did and does, uh, and I think you will be thankful for that, that I don't sing more in the pulpit, uh, most of you. Uh, but it, I, I hope we are always a singing church that lifts our voices together uh, to the Lord. I'm so grateful again for the, to be back at Woodmont and to hear your voices. And you can't really get that sense on TV, right? It's just something about being in the room and hearing uh, people's voices lifting together. It's so powerful. Uh, again, I'm so grateful to Dr. Sherman and for the other guest preachers who've been continuing our series in, in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to skip back a little bit into chapter 11 today uh, because it is the Lord's Day where we celebrate uh, communion today together as we partake of the feast of forgiveness here at the table uh, that, that the Lord has set for us today. And what I'm going to do is, is go back to a passage that I think will sound familiar to you in chapter 11 because we read these words each time that we take the elements together as we eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us. I was saving this passage for a day when we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper and today's that day. I know I get a lot of mileage out of my kids for sermon illustrations, okay? Uh, but it's, you know, you work with what you got. Um, and let me tell you, uh, when we sit down to a meal, there are times when Morgan and I just look at each other like, what is happening? Like, who are these animals at our table? Because their table manners are, are, are not the best. What they learn in a middle school cafeteria about how to eat a meal is not how you ought to eat a meal. It is not the appropriate way to feed yourself, especially uh, with other people around you. Um, it's just, I, I won't name any one of them particularly, but we have three. You can uh, use your imagination for who is the worst. But um, you know, Annie, our dog, likes to sit near that one uh, in particular because she ends up with a lot of scraps that he drops as he eats. That narrows it down to two of our kids. So, uh, <laughs> the, the church in Corinth was apparently not much better than the Parker household when it comes to table manners. Paul heard rumors of how poor the table manners were of the church in Corinth. Remember that they had written to the apostle Paul, who was their spiritual father. He was the guy who planted their church. He was the guy who led many of them to the Lord and pro uh, proclaimed the gospel to them. And they asked him things about marriage and about divorce. And they asked him about worship services and lawsuits. And here in chapter 11, starting in verse 17, Paul takes a, a time out from answering their questions and he addresses these rumors about how they are celebrating incorrectly the Lord's Supper at their worship services. So what we're gonna do is read this text. And again, I think you've heard it before, and I'm gonna ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we hear God's word from chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verses 17 to 34. Hear now the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, 
but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, my, my family and I, again, got to visit a lot of different churches while we're out on sabbatical, and we all agreed that we missed our, our home church. There's something special about God's people gathering in, in a, a specific location, uh, physically coming together, and online or on TV as well, as they gather in the throne room of, of heaven together. And when we worship on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, it's just a special thing. There's something Jesus promises where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. I believe that Jesus is with us spiritually now. And in those places that we went to, it was special because God's people had gathered. But it's also a little awkward when you're a stranger. I know there's some visitors here today, and it's always a little awkward when you don't know the culture. They're like, oh, it's communion. How do I take communion at this church? Am I going to mess something up? Am I going to eat the wrong thing at the wrong time? Okay, don't worry. We're going to walk you through it if, if you're visiting with us today. But we were on that end. We were the strangers, and it was a little confusing. Where do we park? Where do we go in? And one church we visited, uh, the music was, was different, okay? Uh, they opened the worship service seven minutes late, by the way. Uh, we were always on time because of our TV ministry. Uh, they opened the service with a harmonica solo. <laughs> the worship leader sat down at the piano and played the harmonica. And my kids like, looked around like, what is that? Like, I don't think they'd ever heard a harmonica solo before in their lives, especially not at church. And no one in the church 
seemed surprised. I don't know if he plays the harmonica every Sunday. He may. Uh, it was excellent. He was really good at the harmonica. I just, you know, wasn't expecting it. Every church has their own thing, has their own way of, of doing things, has their own culture, their own style. You, you may even say that every church has their own liturgy, liturgy being, being the work of the service, meaning that what we do in worship, their routines, their, their rituals that they engage in when they gather together. And that liturgy is kind of like the, the workout of the day, right? If it's, if it's done right, that workout is supposed to build up the body, right? And our liturgy should be building up the church, the body of Christ. It should shape us into a healthier congregation. When we leave this place, we should be mutually edified by our interactions with the liturgy, with one another, all because the Word of God and the Spirit of God are informing what we do and filling us as we do them. And this section of 1 Corinthians is dedicated to helping this young church in Corinth figure out their liturgy. It's, 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 it's supposed to help them figure out their rituals and their routines and the practices which form them as they gather for worship. They had all kinds of issues with their worship gatherings, okay? You, you heard Alan Wharton address some of those, and including communion. Jesus commanded his followers to eat this special meal in, in remembrance of him, and, and we, we do that as good Baptists. We have two ordinances, we call them, uh, sometimes in Baptist life, the Lord's Supper and believer's baptism, not infant baptism, but believer's baptism here. This special meal is, is really rooted in the Passover meal. Jesus was meeting with his disciples on that Sabbath night to celebrate the, the Seder meal at Passover. It was a traditional meal that for centuries Jewish families had celebrated around the table as they ate this meal. If you've ever had a Seder meal, it's not delicious, okay? It's not supposed to be tasty. It's, it's pretty gross. There's bitter herbs and there's salt water and there's, okay, it's not supposed to be like, mm, this will be a delicious meal. Eat before you go, okay? You're welcome for that tip if you go to a Seder meal or go eat afterwards, but it's not supposed to be uh, an enjoyable uh, delicacy. But what happened with Jesus on that night was that he took the, the traditional Seder meal and he transformed it into this beautiful and powerful illustration of a, a even greater deliverance than the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt that the Passover meal celebrates. You know, Passover, the, the, the word for Passover comes from where the, the Jewish people were told to put the blood of a spotless lamb over their doorpost and the angel of death, when it came across Egypt, would pass over those homes that were covered by the blood of the lamb. Jesus, on that night, took the cup and said, that blood is my blood that institutes a new covenant that death will not reign. Death will pass over those who are covered by my blood. It's a beautiful, powerful meal that is part of Christian life and routine now. And here at Woodmont, we eat this meal once a month together. Usually it's on the first Sunday of the month, except for Easter and Christmas, April and December a little different. And July, you're like, it's not the first of the month either. Okay, we have 
freedom as Baptists. We can do whatever we want, which I love. And, and how we take this meal, how we, we approach the table matters greatly. Why, why is it, the whole point of this message today is, is what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think of God. The most important thing about any one of us is what we think of when we think about God. And so how you approach the table informs, is informed by how you think of God. That's really where we're going today. I'm calling this message table manners, okay? Table manners, mind your manners. How do we partake in the feast of forgiveness? I know it's a stretch to call eating a little wafer, a piece of bread, you know, a feast and a little sip of juice a feast, but the riches of God's glorious grace that are symbolized in this meal are unending and inexhaustible. So how we see this meal, how we approach the table says a lot about, again, how we see God and what our relationship is with God at any given time that we come to the table. And the goal here is not to behave like middle schoolers or a six-year-old around the, the table, but to grow up in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So I'm giving us eight adverbs that I see here in the text that guide our, our spiritual table manners as we sit at the banquet that God has prepared for us. First, we're gonna talk about how not to partake of the feast. This text shows us how not to take communion. Things had gotten so bad in Corinth that Paul actually says, when you get together to meet, it actually does more harm than good. In verse 17, he says, I don't commend you. I don't commend you in the following instructions because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. The congregation has been marked by this social snobbery that was so pervasive in Corinthian culture that it had infiltrated the church. In 18, he says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones to gather together, probably in a big home is where they're meeting. He says, when you gather as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And that's shown at the table of the Lord's Supper. So we are not to partake dividedly. I don't think that's a real word, but you know what I'm saying. Dividedly. When we come to the Feast of Forgiveness, we all come bringing the exact same thing to the table, nothing. We come without money, we come without merit, we come without any kind of goodness in and of ourselves. We are poor in spirit. We are spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt, totally unworthy of sitting down to feast with the high and holy God who made the Carina Nebula and, and built the cosmic cliffs that are seven light years tall, that God, we just casually sit down to dine with him? No, we have no right to approach him other than the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made it acceptable, not only acceptable, but God welcomes us graciously as a host to his table because only of what Jesus has done for us. So no matter what's in our bank account, no matter how many accomplishments or how many degrees that we have 
procured over the years, we all come to receive God's free gift of grace that only he could purchase for us at a great price. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. The, the seats at the table of the Lord's feast are all the same. It's like the round table of King Arthur. There is no head except for him who is the head, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have no right to feel superior to anyone. You know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, there's some churches where the pastor like runs everything. I have no authority on paper other than I think I can call a business meeting if I want to, a special call business meeting. That's pretty cool power. But other than that, like me and May have the same amount of power. She's 10, but she's a baptized member of this church. And so we have each one congregational vote in our polity, which is great because we're all members of the body and there is no superiority over the other. Our deacons are not some ruling board, they are servant leaders and we are congregationally governed, which I think is really important. I think that's the biblical way to do it because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There should be no divisions among us. The second way that we should not take the Lord's Supper is selfishly. We should not take it selfishly. Look at verses 20 and 21. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper. You may call it that, but you're not doing that. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. You know, in, in many ways, the, the journey of Christian discipleship is learning to die to yourself. Christian discipleship is about getting over yourself. And in a culture, you know, I talk about this a lot, of expressive individualism, where we are taught it's all about me, 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 me. I heard a radio interview yesterday. And the person was talking about themselves the entire time. It was so inward focused and narcissistic. It was, I just thought that's how our culture is. Christian discipleship is the opposite. It's learning to live outwardly, centrifugally, center fleeing as we open up to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. But apparently the, the wealthier church members in Corinth, were, were, they were probably providing some of the food, so they were eating all the food and drinking all the wine before those who couldn't afford it could get any. They went ahead and served themselves selfishly. And they thought of the Lord's Supper as more of a physical feast rather than a spiritual feast for the soul. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity not to gorge ourselves physically, but to die to ourselves along with our crucified Savior. It's not an opportunity for, for selfish greed and, and narcissism. That leads to the next point. Don't partake pridefully, pridefully, arrogantly. Look at verse 22. What, do you not have houses to eat in or, or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? You know, these, these churches, like our church, have people in different socioeconomic classes. And the wealthier members in Corinth had these nice homes, right, in which they could host these nice, lavish feasts. But the gathered body of Christ is not the place for that kind of physical indulgence. Even though Lynn has made some pretty awesome meals and others here, and we had a great big breakfast today for the Maffets, and there's been some delicious food here, okay? I'm not saying I'm against food. I love food, okay? But church is not the place 
to gorge ourselves selfishly or pridefully. And these wealthier people elbowed their way kind of to the front to eat all the, the food and drink all the wine because they were seeing themselves as above those who were poor, and they felt prideful that they were worthy to eat first because of their social standing. But none of us deserves the feast of forgiveness more than the other one does. That's the kind of attitude the Lord's Supper is meant to break down. There's, there's no human pride. There's no room for that kind of pride in the feast that God alone has prepared for us. You know, sometimes a lot of people over to the house for, for a meal and um, you know, my wife's an amazing cook. She really is, is gifted. And uh, they'll say, oh, thank you. They'll, they'll tell me sometimes, you know, thank you so much for that meal. And I'll have to confess, I, I contributed nothing to that meal other than maybe some of the funds to buy it. That's about all I contributed to that meal. It was 100% my wife who did all of it. And at this supper that we come to here, it's God who provides all of it. We don't even provide the, the funds to procure it. God alone provides the feast. Therefore, there is no room for pride. Okay, next, Paul moves into a corrective teaching how to partake, what he received from the Lord, what either he received by direct revelation from the risen Jesus or what he received, what he says here matches up perfectly with what Jesus did in Luke chapter 11 when he instituted the Lord's Supper on that night. He tell, he's telling us how Jesus instituted this act of liturgy that the church is to follow in corporate worship. And first he tells us to partake of the feast gratefully. We should approach the table with thankful hearts. You've probably heard this again before, but verse 23, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know what they call the Lord's Supper in uh, Anglican churches, Episcopal churches? Some of you grew up in those more liturgical traditions. Do you know what they call it? The Eucharist. You know what Eucharist means? You means good and charis means grace. It literally means good grace. So when you or your family say grace at a meal, what you're doing is thanking God who provides all good things for us, including our daily bread. When we come to the table, we are to come eucharistically, grateful, acknowledging the good grace that the undeserved, unmerited favor of God that he has given us. Before Jesus did anything, in the Lord's Supper, he gave thanks. When we consider what God has given us in Christ, exemplified in the Lord's Supper, our hearts should be overwhelmed with the kind of gratitude that drives us to our knees in praise and in adoration. <clears throat> we also need to be cognizant of the big picture when we take communion. We need to understand what we're doing in context. We need to understand what we're doing in context. The next adverb is that we should partake contextually, knowing the whole story, knowing the role of the Lord's Supper in the context of the biblical meta-narrative. Jesus told us that this is not just about the old Passover story. His blood brings about that whole new covenant. 
We, the church, are now God's chosen covenant people through whom he lives and dwells and works to accomplish his good purposes for creation. In verse 25, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's a good reminder that when we partake of this, that we're one day going to drink the cup anew with Jesus, our fellow heir, as we reign in glory with him in the new heavens and the new earth, and death will be no more, and there will be no more tears, and there'll be no more cancer, and there'll be no more injustice, and there'll be no more aging joints and bones cracking, there'll be no more uh, poverty, there'll be no more hunger, and there'll be no more darkness in the new heaven and new earth. Okay, and then Paul finishes this section by showing us some things not to do again when we approach the Lord's table. It's important to, to have clean hands. I'm a big hand-washing guy. I like to uh, make sure that our kids wash their hands, you know, after uh, playing outside or anything. And before we eat a meal, I make sure that our, our kids have all washed our, our hands. And it's important when you come to the Lord's table to have a clean heart before you eat. We are not to take the supper profanely, profaned by the world and, and by the, the troubles and the baggage and the stains that we carry from this world. Look at verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's why communion is only for believers who have been born again into a living hope who've been regenerated. I love that word that Chaplain Wilkins used. It's not for people who've been rehabilitated, it's for people who've been regenerated, who've been born again and had their sins forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Christ. But even as Christians, we need to repent daily Sometimes hourly, sometimes every five minutes, I need to repent for my prideful, angry, whatever thoughts that I, I'm having. The Lord's Supper is a great opportunity to repent, to stop going in that direction that you're going in that is sinful and that is going to lead to death and destruction ultimately, and to turn back to the gracious Lord who opens his arms and says, come and sit at my table and eat with me. That's what repentance is. That leads us to the next point, don't partake unrepentantly. Verse 28 and 29 say, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's why we have a time of reflection before you come and take the elements. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Scholars disagree on what discerning the body really means, but it's clear that we are to understand this is a spiritual meal that celebrates both the body of Christ that was broken for us and the body of Christ here and now on earth, us, the church, the called out representatives of Jesus on earth. If we don't come to the table in repentance, then we, we come disingenuously. We become living a lie. If, if we come thinking that we're worthy or if we come thinking what we really want is just a, a good meal to feel good about ourselves, maybe check off church off of our list, 
then we come disingenuously. That's dangerous. God's judgment is real. Excuse me. The stakes are high. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction every time. That's what verse 30 is about. It's pretty intense. Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If you go on living the lie, it's not going to end well. But if you can actually see reality and call yourself out, then you will lead to life and repentance. I was listening to a Christian rap song this week by a guy named Trip Lee who says, I'm a snitch, I call myself out. He says, I tell on myself because I have to to check myself. I'm not going to say it, Logan. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Uh, We have to keep ourselves in check. When you come together to eat, you have to keep yourself in check. Finally, we're not to partake individually. We're not to do this alone. Christianity is a team sport. I've said that before. Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. If your physical stomach is growling, like have a snack before you come is what he's saying, okay? Get a meal before you come because this is not the time or place to fill your belly. If this, this table is for the spiritual nourishment of the gathered community, the family of faith. I, I know I talk a lot about individualism, but it's so true. Everything in our culture is designed where we can isolate ourselves and create this buffered self that is safe and cut off from the rest of the world. But Christianity can't be done like that. We need each other. We need to gather. I know some of you can't who are watching at home and we do our best to make sure you feel connected. But if you can gather, we need to be together. We need to lift our voices together in worship. We need to look at at one another and our deacons and have them tell us, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. The Lord's table is a communal table. It's not a single desk. So what do we do with all this? How do we approach the table on the Lord's day in a way that is appropriate? Well, we must understand that how we think of God is how we approach the Lord's table. How do you think of God today? How is your relationship with the Lord right now? Maybe you haven't had a, a real time of prayer in a long time. Maybe you're carrying a lot of baggage from the world and it's time to let that go. If we come to the table ungratefully, if we come selfishly, if we come pridefully, if we come profanely, if we come unrepentantly, then then that's the true sad state of our souls. We may be far from the Lord. We may be heading towards disaster. But if we come expectantly, remembering the greatness of the whole gospel story, that one day this is all going to come fulfilled, then we experience the joy and the freedom and the power that the feast of forgiveness imparts to us through the Holy Spirit and God's grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we have the chance to repent. We thank you that you cover us with your blood so that death has no reign over us.
God, we thank you that you have spread a table before us with a feast of forgiveness as you freely give us yourself. God, I pray that however we have been living, whether it's in sin or whether it's far from you, that in this moment, we would draw near to you, that we would come to you like little children, as you, our good, good Father, open wide your arms and receive us through the blood of Jesus and through the, the gospel that you have forged a way for us to be your children and to come expectantly and to receive these elements anew today. God, I pray that every time we partake of this meal, it would be a powerful time of building up the body, that it would do much more good than harm, that we would leave each time being edified, being encouraged, not only by your gospel and what you've done for us in Jesus, but by being together in the house of the Lord. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.